Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hey up, man. On today's show, I've got Tom Heaney from Newcastle. Uh, you may have seen Tom on Facebook with his videos, giving out lots of free content, talking a lot about rent-to-rent mindset and no money down. So he's built up quite an impressive rent-to-rent portfolio in his first year, which was turning over £100,000 a year. And now, after doing it for a few years, turning over just about a million, which is pretty awesome from properties you don't own. He has a team of staff, so he's not you know, hands-on managing the rent-to-rent as many of us would be at the beginning. He's hands-off and he's living his best life. He is also business partners with Paul Taylor, who you might recognize from the 100K challenge and from the monastery and, well, from his appearance on TED Talks a few weeks ago. So today we talk about mindset quite a bit, actually, but also rent to rents and purchase lease options and generally how to do things with little or no money down. Uh, And I think if you're maybe stuck with your mindset and you're maybe coming up with excuses in your head and you're trying to get rid of them, this is going to be a great episode for you. If you're interested in going to his free course or his free networking two days, I couldn't go to the first two because I'm, I don't know, eating cheese in Italy or something crazy like that. I will be at his one afterwards. So use the link in the notes on the podcast player or ask me on Facebook or Instagram if you can't find it and I'll send you the link for you to sign up. Tom Heaney, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thanks for having me, Tej. No problem. I've seen your videos on Facebook for a while. And I've always been interested in what you were doing because you're always giving away a lot of free content. So, you know, for the people who don't know what you do or who you are, could you give us a a brief introduction into the world of Tom? Oh, well, that's quite a complex one. Are you sure you (laughs) want to delve there? (laughs) As well, I'm northeast based, but I I work across the whole country. But I'm, I'm primarily a property investor and developer. We've got a property management company. And uh, we now also have a property education company. But even just uh, two and a half years ago, I mean, life was very different. To uh, if you, I would have never guessed I would be doing all this just yeah two and a half years back. Um, what else am I doing? So we yeah we live in a we live in a little woodlands. Uh, we've got springers, spaniels, we've got uh, chickens, bees. Uh, I suppose that's the hobby side of me. But ultimately, I'm passionate about helping people get to be the best version of themselves. That's the kind of the deep driver in me as well. Hmm. Okay. And so what were you doing before property and how did you discover that property was a was a thing? Okay, so there's two parts of that. I, I always thought property was a thing, even back when I remember when I was like 17, 18. Um, and I remember basically I was involved in a, a, a road accident uh, when I was 15, 16 and, I, and I, would, I was awarded some compensation and it was actually £10,000 at 18 years of age. And I remember looking, I, I want to buy a house with this, but I didn't have the knowledge or, or understanding of how to do it. And I remember looking on online, and I saw this flat for 10 grand. And by the way, that, t- that same flat's only worth 15,000 now. And that was like <laughs> 20 years ago. So I'm pleased I didn't buy it. But I, I knew back then I had a curiosity, but I just didn't know how. So I actually blew it all on a, on a, on a car and uh, went and lived to live, live in the Lake District. But on that journey, I ended up becoming a teacher uh, because my dad was a teacher and I, uh, I enjoyed it, but discovered I had dyslexia on the way. 
uh, realized that's probably why I didn't do so well at school. I realized actually, yeah, okay, I know more about me now. So I invested heavily into who Tom was and the psychology of how humans, why, why some humans are, uh, get better results than others. I was really curious about that. Hmm. Okay. And then, you know, when you, you know, so, so how long were you a teacher for? uh just over 10 years and it was it was amazing like it's a it's definitely a fulfilling job but um yeah i walked out very very abruptly and so what i mean what was the drive so i think most people is like freedom traveling you know just being free what was your drive to leave a job that you know was fulfilling and you're an award-winning teacher what what made you leave that for property yeah yeah well i am um, it's okay but quickly to, to give you a quite short, sharp um, story of the, the final phase of teaching with that help. Yeah. yeah. So um, when you do something you love, it doesn't. It's not a job. It's it's just it's it's just what your life is. And that was for me teaching. So six a.m. till six p.m. going on school trips, watching the kids perform on stage, and saying I'm proud of you. All that stuff was just fulfilling. But then. The pressure of climbing the ladder, uh, making your family proud, and 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 climbing the, the the pay scale. Ultimately, you get more responsibility, and then you're into management. But then you're no longer in working with young people. So I ended up getting a promotion in a new school, and on paper sounded awesome. But then you uh, find out it's not what you like, and I'm, I just find out I'm not a good manager. And so uh, I got told that I was rubbish. Uh, they were failing my lesson observations, even though I'd won national awards and I was teaching teachers how to teach. Just I didn't. I was a square peg in a round hole in this new school. I don't know if you've ever felt like that yourself, Tej. <laughs> yep, yep, I have. So uh, within actually six weeks of this new post, uh, I'd gone from uh, love and life, and I'm quite a, an outgoing character. Uh, to actually being quite introverted, uh, low energy, uh, not valuing myself, not valuing anything I could contribute to society. And I didn't actually want to be on the planet. And it's easy for me to say that now, but if you've ever been in that position, it's it's hard to see anything else. Uh, so I actually, uh, six weeks in, one night just came home, I said to my partner, I just um, ultimately, if I don't leave tomorrow, then I probably leave myself. Uh, so uh, it was a, that's what, what made me just decide was a zero plan. Um, so like, I don't know if you've, if you've ever wanted to make that step into this new chapter of the unknown, but your fears of paying the bills and paying your lifestyle and what your family and friends going to think and all these, all these external pressures, we weigh down on you. Have you ever been like that to yourself? Yeah, no, I definitely haven't. It's, um, it's scary. You know, parts of it are exciting, but it, it, I don't know, sometimes that pressure, right? It's like what well, a high pressure on some coal and carbon makes diamonds. So I think it's it's a similar thing with us, right? And so you were feeling that way. You you quit. And at, at this point, did you like sort of have property to go into or did you quit and just say, oops? Yeah, well, uh, so I'd been in property 10 years at that point as a hobby. So the slow, hard way, no education, trial and error, listening to the wrong people, give me the wrong advice. Uh, so I had made, quit, made a fair, fair few mistakes, but then... I had one uh, house uh, called a house of multiple occupancy. It was a five-bed HMO, as they call it. Uh, so I knew, and I'd, I'd been in property management uh, at university. I was a residential coordinator. So I kind of knew property uh, to some extent, but I just didn't know how. I thought you needed money to make money. Uh, and so when I quit the job, I didn't think property was an option because one thing you can't really do is when you haven't got an income stream like a salary, which I'd been using to leverage for property, that now was kind of like, I thought that door was shut. 
So for a few months, actually, we sold our home for uh, within four weeks, subject to contract. I had that; they had the HMO up for sale. We had lots of offers and interest on that. So I was literally going to shut all that down to get money back out, and we we're going to go to the Lake District to uh, be guest house owners randomly, because I thought that was the only answer. But then um, I'd never been entrepreneurial, or I didn't think it—I I didn't really think I was, or a businessman. And when I started doing the numbers on this guest house, I was waiting, thinking, "Wait a minute, I've got to work. I've got to buy this house for like four hundred fifty thousand pounds. I've got to then work my ass off, like changing bed linen every hour in the sun, and make sixty thousand pounds. And that for me was a lot of money back then, because that was better than having zero in the bank. Yeah. But then, but then I started thinking, hold on, so there must be a better way. So I started asking better questions. Uh, so it was more like, how can I get into property with no money? What do I need to do? Who do I need to speak to? And uh, being, more, being more resourceful, I started opening up more opportunities. And so uh, it was February, well, January two, two years ago, two and a bit years ago, is when I actually pulled out of the sale of the guest house, pulled out the sale of our house, which, I, which was sad for the, the person buying it because it was their dream home. Uh, and just thought, right, I'm going to have to do something called rent to rent. I'm going to rent people's houses because I can't buy them. And I'm going to control them, provide a great quality product and service. And I'm going to create cash flow. And I didn't even know at that point uh, whether it was going to be fully legal or not. I was just going to find out if it was possible. But it was the focus. I see. Interesting. And then, you know, you start asking us questions and you changed your mindset to be more open to receiving the kind of knowledge and asking for the knowledge you needed. Yeah. You know, did with rent to rent, was it just, you just thought, okay, this makes sense. Or did you go on a course or read a book or something like that? Um, so, so yeah, so January, so January, what year when 2019, 18, 17. So it must've been 2017, January. Uh, I ultimately thought, right, rent to rent is an, is something that clearly will provide a solution to some landlords. But then I was asking my friends, in fact, my other half was a property manager. So I was even asking them saying like, is this legal? And they were going, no, it's illegal because you're subletting. And it's crazy because I was listening to that advice, but they're telling me that because uh, they don't know any different. So then I started uh, doing um, podcasts, YouTube videos, online forums. And I thought, wait a second, there is uh, some people making massive success out of this. But then the doubt, the challenge I had was that I only had £2,000 left in the bank. And that was to pay my mortgage, pay the lifestyle, because I only had very trickle income coming in from my one HMO, no, no other salary. And our lifestyle was actually more than income coming in. So the bank balance was rapidly going to zero. So I had to learn how to set up a business. Uh, do the marketing, learn, do, invest in my education, and raise finance really quickly. Otherwise, this business is going to fail. So, because because you because you're in property as well, Tej, aren't you? So you you do finance raising, is that correct? Yeah. So anyway, I hadn't been on any courses, but I was like, how do I do this? So I um I just quickly thought, how can I access cash quickly, and and then how can I market cheaply? And I started buying people's time for people who I wanted to be like. So it was basically spend time with people because that mantra of be, hang around people who are more successful than you, mirror people. So I was like, right, well, ultimately, I'm not, I have no property network. I'm going to have to buy successful people's time. And that was my attitude. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense. And I think at the beginning, you know, when you're starting out, well, at any level, buying time of people you want to be like or who inspire you is is going to yield positive results as long as you do more listening than talking. Yeah. Um, it's only going to have positive results. And that's a, a top tip for anyone listening. You know, even if you're brand new, just message someone who you see and just say, 
can I buy you dinner? Can I buy you coffee? Can yeah, I pick I your brain? That. I was doing that every single day. And, and look was, at the said, yeah. you know results that kind of come from it. So, yeah. But I guess to tell you though, one thing though, what I did find is there's quite a few, not quite a few, there was a number of people I had coffees and half days or full days with who I'd invested time in money-wise uh, that actually were, were, not re- were not as good as, as I thought they were online uh so that's when i quickly learned how to do due diligence um <laughs> so if you're if you're listening and you don't know what due diligence means it's just actually that the, a bit of scrutiny and asking the questions that might be, be awkward like well you know prove like, how many how many properties have you got show me uh and and do some background checks because it's easy for somebody to say that they're successful or they're doing x but i like to be shown that they are yeah and i think also having a kind of filter which naturally builds up over time when you're on Facebook and you're watching people and listening to them and seeing them you kind of learn who you'd get along with who you'd maybe do business with yeah just by you know just watching and just kind of engaging and and seeing how they engage with you so how many so in your first year you know starting from from zero from a real kind of you know not having experience or in business or anything how many rent to rents did you acquire in your first year uh, I'd have to do a global check, so don't. This is either twelve or thirteen. But for more, more importantly, so it's, for me, the amount of the amount of rent rents is is irrelevant. It's more about what cash flow it brings and does it does it generate a profit. Uh, so because some people will um will will say, oh well, I, I had a, I had a gross rent roll of three hundred fifty thousand pounds this year, but actually when you look at it, they only made ten percent profit. Uh, so, so I'm more about what does it serve somebody and what does it generate, because uh, that's business. Then it's like actually, is it or is you, are you just a busy fool? So um, the accountants showed me our first our our accounts on that. Uh, so you got to remember. So there's there's been a sole trader and there's also a limited company. So our limited company's net profits was 110,000 pounds in a, in year one just from rent to rent. Uh, so for me, that is more important than having 12 or 13 rent to rents. But the way, but the mechanics behind it, just in case uh, somebody else is listening to this thinking, how how do I go about it? My, I said I basically worked out that if each rent to rent makes anything from five hundred to fifteen hundred pounds per calendar month, the average is seven fifty to to eight hundred. So therefore, how many do I need? If if my goal is ten thousand pounds a month in year one, how many do I need? Uh, and how 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 many a month do I need? And then because when you're starting out, if um, it's harder. It's like a snowball. It's really hard to push. So it's harder to get your first one. So it might take you a little bit longer. But then when you're consistently marked in, you, then more come in because the people, the, the ones you've been pipelining stop plopping in. So I was like, right, it's gonna, it might take me three months to find my first one, but then I should try and get one a month after that. And that was the kind of the way I broke it down. So I was like, if, I, if it's going to take me three months to get my first one, how much marketing needs to go out? So then I, was, I would be buying people's time who'd, who's making over 100 grand from rent to rent. And I was saying, how much marketing did you do to get that deal? How much are you spending to get that? Who do you who do you mark to? And by the, working out that, I had, a, I had a mechanical process, and I just followed it. Hmm. Wow. And you know, and we spoke about this off air. So you had the mechanical process, and you followed it. But as you you said earlier, you know, some people make it, some people break it. What are some of the key, I don't know, characteristics or attributes you think? someone needs to have to take that mechanical recipe for rent to rent and make it a success yeah for me that i think this is like the it's not even the secret it's just the, the magical bit that it makes it work for some people and not others so i think the mechanics is only 20 percent of it 80 percent is the actual is the mindset behind it and the psychology of the person 
and anybody can be a better version of themselves. That's why I believe in helping people become the best, you know, to live an extraordinary life and be the best version of themselves. And so the 80% is, if you think about it, um, let's just take you back to when I quit that job. Um, I, I basically had hardly any income coming in. So the 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 minds the the, the the internal dialogue of well I should get more property or I should really learn how to raise more finance or I should learn rent to rent it became a must because the emotion inside became so strong that it had to be I had to work rather than it just well I should really do something about it. It's like going to the gym. If you if you think about it, if, if we all know we should go to the gym, but most people don't. But if you suddenly get a medical condition where you have to go to the gym, it, it changes the something inside you because it no longer becomes uh, well I should do it to become it becomes a certainty that if you don't then something in your life will change drastically. So for me, it it what you focus on and what you focus on consistently, and if you put if you put meaning behind it, it gives you a lot of emotional drive, and you think about that daily, will get you more results because then you just follow the mechanics to get you there. Because you know, the successful people are just successful because they follow a system, and it's the background energy that drives them to get there. Mm. And where did you learn this from? Was it a book? Was it a, a podcast? Was it seeing someone speak live? What was it? Well, I'm sure, Tej, uh, people will have learned stuff from your your podcast, even from all the, the episodes you've done. I mean, I guarantee it that uh, it, it won't just be the mechanics. They will have thought they will have picked up some attitudes and attributes. Would you agree with that, Tej? Yeah, I'd, I definitely hope so. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I invest in my learning daily and it doesn't have to be paid. I invest in audio books. I invest in podcasts. I invest in uh, lis listening to um, YouTube videos. But I've been doing this now for, you know, for 10, 12 years. So being a teacher, I was I was really keen to, and interested in the psychology of the human being, what makes somebody uh, a high performer, because ultimately I wanted to instill that into the young people. And then working with all diverse range of people from you know, severely autistic to people with specific learning difficulties all the way through to high achievers uh, and seeing how can you get the best out of each of them. I've really refined that, I think, um, focus on what makes somebody really special and, and get that skill out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, going to the kind of mechanics of rent to rent, how sort of how time intensive is sort of each rent to rent? Once you've done the deal, you've agreed it, you're just managing it. You know, are you hands on managing a HMO or is it kind of like hands off and you're kind of totally free? Well, for, for me personally, I'm hands off and totally free. Uh, but that's because I've built the systems behind it because ultimately the, if, if somebody's listened to this and they're wanting to get into property and they want to set up a rent to rent management company is that's what I effectively set up. Uh, I um, I set it up with the end in mind. So all the systems was all about how can I make sure this system can grow without me. And that, that's that's a massive tip for any business because ultimately people say oh, i want to set up a coffee shop or i want to set up a, a dog walking business and i'm like do you want to be doing this in 10 years time and they go oh no uh, but I'll, but i'm like well how how are you going to set it up now so people can replace you so you can step back so I, with the rent to rent business it was all about um how do i put a management software in that can can scale without me how do i bring in teams and and uh, tenant viewers and managing agent but still make me enough profit to make it completely worth my time so i get to time back to do what i want which is helping people and inspiring and, and doing all this free content on on uh, social media interesting and you know for people listening who are doing rent to rents or who you know are considering it 
I mean, what kind of tips could you give them in terms of that sort of outsourcing and managing and leveraging to ensure that maybe one day, maybe sooner, they can be where you are? Okay, well, there's two there's two options for rent to rent. You either do it, you either manage yourself, or you outsource it to a managing agent. The downside of outsourcing a managing agent is the fact that you're losing that potential profit. So the choice I made was if I keep it in house, I have more profit. I've got all the time, and then at some point I can always outsource it. That's why the decision I took was to do that way. So step one is decide: Do you really want to have a management company and and the associated staff and growth that goes with it? Or do you want to outsource it? So those, though, that's a massive decision at the very start. But once you've decided that, then the systems you put behind it will ultimately depend on whether you do outsource or whether you do internal management. So I don't know whether you want to kind of delve into the either or one of them, or is that a sufficient answer? No, I think, so if you're, when you say management agent, do you essentially mean you get the rent to rent, you then say to a lettings agent who's preferably good at HMOs, you look after it as per usual. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, but then the, you know we set them key performance indicators as well, so it's like any business. And so I didn't, by the way, know this kind of stuff at the start. This has just come from you know really pushing every single day to 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 grow and scale. But ultimately, if you outsource, so if you and this, by the way, is applicable whether you have a single byte let HMO or commercial, uh, they they they're providing a product and service to you. They're going to charge you a percentage fee for managing it. So I want them to work for that fee. So it's um so if they're so if they're charging ten percent management, it's, I I say to them, well, what happens if uh, void go up? Do do you reduce your fee? Or what if what if we get more complaints than average? How do we go about that? How do what's the what's the complaints procedure? What's the what's the maintenance reportance procedure? What who who actually goes out and repairs it if somebody comes out? What fee do you charge me if if a repair is needed? So it's asking those kind of questions to delve into it rather than just going, yep, give it to management, happy days, walk away. Because ultimately, in HMOs, uh, in particular, the higher wear and tear. It's a bit like service accommodation. So there's more maintenance. There's more people moving in and out. So uh, if if you really want near passive income, you need to have those questions answered and to make sure that the agent can deliver on their promises. And if they're charging something like 7% or less management fee, they're not going to make any profit, I don't think, at, uh, uh, and provide you a great quality product and service at that stage. So you they need to pay 10 12%. Otherwise, there's nothing in it for them. Yeah. And that's a good point. You know, I think naturally it's easy to go with the cheapest option because who wants to pay more for something? But oh yeah, you know, in the case of your investment, your asset, your property, you know, sometimes paying a bit more, same with solicitors, brokers, whatever it is, can get you better results. Right. So yeah, yeah. that was your sort of, I guess, journey to your first rent to rent and your first year of rent to rents. Now, as you were building these rent to rents, what were some of your like biggest challenges that you personally faced um the biggest challenges were mm, good question well the, the challenge always is well there's, there's two i'm going to break that down into two elements uh, there was always the psychology the psychological challenges and then the mechanic challenges uh, so the, so the i'm just going to give you two answers to that that you know p- p- consistently showing it every single day even though if you don't know if it's going to physically work and uh, and the belief that you can raise money and the belief that you can you can help serve all these people with properties even though uh, the external people might be trying to pull you back that has been a, a challenge and it'll be a challenge for anybody it's just how you manage it so that you know, everybody goes through that and having a dip every single week um, and having sleepless nights not because i'm stressing just because my brain's ticking it has been a challenge. 
Uh, and then the second bit, the mechanics, is just going about making sure that uh, every deal fully works. And I'm very risk averse. So I talk myself out of a lot of things because I don't want to let anybody down. And so, so uh, committing and really going at the deals. So yeah, I've missed deals where looking back, knowing what I know now, I'll have gone for. But it's a learning process, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, one thing that people who are new to rent rent in particular are maybe wary of or, or, or fearful of is speaking to agents and also speaking to agents when they don't have any rent to rents or properties under their belt. So when you first started out, like how were you communicating with them and how did they trust that you could do this without any previous experience? Yeah, good. So um, agents, well, one thing, I positioned agents as this kind of like all powerful beings because I thought they had, had they were experts in all property. And here's here's Tom with no cash wanting to uh, take these properties off them, even though they were managing agents and I was a managing agent. And at the early days, I didn't fully get clarity on how I communicated my product and service. So I found it easier to go direct to landowner, uh, landlords uh, because then I could look them in the eye and and listen to their pains and problems and, and create that solution, yeah? So I um, fr- so with the early days, it was direct to vendor. And then as I got the confidence and knowing what I know now, it's much easier because I now don't put them on this pedestal of being awesome. I just see them as a business that needs me so I can help so- solve them because they need to fill these. Otherwise, they don't get their fees. So I, I am a client. I can help them and I come at them at the same level. And I'll often actually not speak to the, the first estate agent person in the room. I'll only find try and speak to the manager or the owner of the company. Interesting. And, you know, nowadays, when, or I guess after your sort of first year, when you were, you know, obtaining rent to rents, did you change your kind of strategy? So did you do something in your first year like, I don't know, spend X amount on refurbs in the second year you didn't do? Like, was there a major change or did you just have it like cookie cutter the whole way? Um, my, my, my interior design got better. <laughs> I, look, I, I look at my first one, but when you have no money uh, and, uh, uh, and literally it was just kind of get it filled and get it out as quick as possible because I'm desperate for cash flow. Yeah, I look, I look at my first photographs of my first HMOs and I think, gosh, they were nice, but compared to what we do now, so that's been the biggest change for me is the interior design element, and I and because I think I enjoy it, but then ultimately it makes the tenants happier. So that's that's been one evolution for us. Uh, I, I was even putting on unironed bed, she- bed sheets on my pictures. How <laughs> how, how appalling! <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, were you spending? And this is another question I think people are trying to ask at the beginning. Were you getting properties that were sort of? just needed furnishing and decorating or were you doing any sort of refurb or work on them oh over over the over the t- over the time now we've done everything from having brand new licensed hmos with furniture in uh, all the way through to ten thousand pounds rent to rent refurb now my rule of thumb oh, this is one of my things i teach my, our mentees is um i always try and get my money back out within six months so if so if, if i'm making a thousand pounds a month profit i need to get that money back out within six months as a rule of thumb just so it's not just a, a headache or a or a, a, i'm not going to see any profit i feel like a year now the, the, if i might do it a little bit longer if i've got it for like a six-year term it all depends on what the the return on investment is and it's it, ultimately that's what it boils down to it's it's not an emotional decision it's a it's it's a it's a return on investment because it's about cash flow. So how much cash flow is it going to make? Is the risk worth the reward? And then that's how I make a decision on each one. 
Hmm. And when it comes to each rent to rent, do you have a sort of like if I'm trying to find an area that I you know think oh rent to rent might work here, HMOs might work here, because even for me personally, when I look at HMOs to to purchase, I'm always like, mm, okay, I really need to be sure that this area is going to work. I mean, with buy to lets, I think it's a lot looser. I think way more areas work naturally for yeah. buy to lets. With HMOs, you know, do you have a criteria or something that you 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 say to your mentees, this is what you need to look at in a new area? Yeah, just well, it's just it, it, an HMO is, is is a product like any business. So it's just what is the demand for that product and what's the supply, and and ultimately, can you offer that product better? Uh, can you provide a better service, a better product, a better price? Uh, and ultimately, when you triangulate out of that, you then think, can I position myself in that market to to be to to make it filled? And you can also find out, speak to local letting agents, find out what the demand is, speak to in your network how other people with HMOs are doing. Uh, so you can then triangulate that information to then make a, an executive decision. But my rule of thumb is, uh, before, before we delve further into it, where if I was you know if we're looking at it with somebody, it's just, is it in an urban area? Is it near schools? Is it near hospitals? Is it near places to work? And ultimately, we've got a housing shortage in the UK. So there's more renters and there's more people looking for houses than there are property. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think also... You know, I've been looking at some HMOs in certain areas where I invest in Wales, and yes, that you know, there's definitely a housing crisis. But in certain areas, for example, for the listeners, I know that if I if I rent it out here, it's all going to be DSS tenants. So I think something to also bear in mind is don't just think that everyone that you that the housing crisis you necessarily want to house everyone. I totally agree. Yeah. Be careful of certain areas, but you'll know that, right? Hopefully if you've driven around, investigated and spoken to people. Yeah. So like, so yeah, so it's kind of like the, the, the aerial view is just, is it in an urban area? Is there employment and is there a demand? But then it, then the next layer down or the next layer, however you want to look at is what, who is interested? What, what are they, what they're paying? What's the accommodation like? Uh, And then, because there's different, in HMOs, you can almost group them into, into different, groups of people whether whether you like it or not there's people who uh, who are on dss and so they have a, a particular price in mind so therefore they can only afford a certain house in a certain area uh, and then you've got people who are often on night shifts so they don't necessarily want to have sociable uh, evenings with movies so we've got a, a, an hmo which is purely with people on night shifts uh, and we've got then we've got um we've got professionals who work night or five so then they want sociable uh, we've got mature students. We don't do to students, uh, but then you've got your student market and then you've got the people who want like boutique high end because th- that's what they're used to. And then you've got your short stay. So you can almost have HMO. You could have an HMO model where actually it's short stay lets. So you can almost have them on one, two, three, four, five weeks, two, three months, and then run each HMO as a, a service accommodation unit too. Hmm. Interesting. And your HMOs are they all concentrated in one sort of geographical area? They are right now, but I would have, I would buy them anywhere in the country. Uh, but ultimately, our portfolio is managed. Oh uh, no, but well, I am expanding. I tell a lie. Um, the uh, our po- our portfolio is all within twenty five minutes drive of each other, just because our in- our management team manages it. That's the only decision for that. But I have already now bought one. Uh, we've converted out of that area and that's now with the managing agents and so I'll happily buy local or further afield I don't mind okay and so 
right now we're in June 2019. What does your property portfolio look like? Um, it's not big enough. That's what does, that's what it looks like. <laughs> but I'm also really humble and proud of the team, how quickly we're growing. Uh, so our portfolio looks as a mixture of rent to rent um, owned. It's got purchase lease options uh, as well. If so, if people are, if don't, people don't know what a purchase lease option is, by the way, it's just you're basically leasing the property with the option to buy it as well. So that's what I like about rent to rents is uh, um, I'll often always ask, can I, you know, there's an option to buy it too. So we've got a few a couple of purchase lease options as well in there. Uh, so uh, anyway, I've got like a multi-million pound property portfolio, but once again, that's just numbers. Uh, for me, it, it creates cash flow. So we've got over 100 units, uh, either live or coming live, and that just for me generates monthly income. It's management managed by a team, so then I can do with the stuff I love, which is finding more deals, uh, working with people, uh, creating great value and content to help people live an extraordinary life. That's what I'm passionate about. I'm not necessarily passionate about managing tenants. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do quite like the interior design bit though too. Mm. And so how much, so right now, how much is that cash flowing a month profit in your pocket? See, that's another, um, uh, it's, I don't say that's black and white. If someone says black and white, then it's, I think uh, it's, it's, um, I just don't, I just don't think you can because we've, I've got multiple limited companies. Uh, okay, so I've got I've got multiple businesses, and it, it, and when you have a limited company, you are an employee to that limited company, and so I choose just to to draw down a fixed salary, uh, because I'm choosing to grow the businesses, but uh, our our ter- our complete turnover and just business is is in excess of I don't know, one point four million, one point five million in the past twelve months, uh, and so there's profit in that, but then I've got a team of seven staff. Uh, and I mean, I, I do, I manage my own time. Um, we're going to go into India in the summer. I've got a nice car or live in a nice house. I'm not saying that a brag. I'm just saying that ultimately I draw, I draw a, a fixed salary out enough for me to get mortgages, but ultimately I'm on a, I'm on a mission to, to serve and a mission to grow and help people. And, and I'm, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm an empire builder. So everything we make goes back in the business. So, uh, so I know you asked the question, how much money's in my pocket? Well, I choose not to draw it out. I choose to grow. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, you've been doing rent to rent for a while now. Is it something that you see as a stepping stone to purchasing or do you see it as a long-term strategy in itself? Oh yeah, so we still do rent to rent now, and they've got the team um, looking for rent to rents right now. But that my rent to rent was just strategy one. So if if you're listening to this, uh, uh, that my my challenge to you would be basically if you want to do rent to rent, is it gives you a three to six year window to really get some cash flow under your belt, so you get your time back if you if you do it well. To then go right, what what is it do I want to do from property? And so I use that as cash flow focus, focused in year one, and then year two's goal is always to buy assets. And so you mean even in so we've now we have HMOs that we've converted from terrace houses that we own. We have ones in Article Four areas that we own. We have we're converting commercial to residential that we own. Uh, we we have we've got a monastery that we're converting to twenty nine bed HMO. And I think um, my business partner Paul Taylor was on a previous episode of yours. So you know, ultimately, all of those are there to um, to replace the rent to rents one day. But at the same time, now we benefit from both sides. We've got rent to rents and assets, and and I, I definitely will never dis- discredit having a rent to rent because I would take another one tomorrow if it's stacked. Because why wouldn't you? Hardly any cash in, cash flow out, and uh, yeah, if you've got the right systems, you just plop them in. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, when it comes to, and well, when you first started, you said you had to raise finance quite quickly and, yeah. and even, so, I mean, nowadays, are you, like you said, just, you know, using your own cash and cycling, or do you have, you know, a pool of investors who will regularly invest in you and the business? Yeah, a mixture of both now. But when you're starting out and you're, if you don't have a high net worth network, and some people do though, and I encourage you to step one to hold a mirror up and actually ask yourself who is in your network. Now, my background, you mean, I just, uh, I, I came from an average uh, housing estate. My, my dad was a teacher. My mom worked in the inland revenue sheet, but we had a, my brother had um, autism and, complex needs so a lot of the time I was focused on him we didn't have much money in the bank uh, or, I didn't have the designer trainers etc and so the reason I'm telling you that is um, I, my, I then went to a, a normal comp so my network oh, and then I went to university and we did outdoor studies and so it was all about being in the hills not about making money so my network was not a wealthy network and so it were, my immediate thing was how how do I actually build this network? So I network like crazy every single month, and I still do now. And I reach out to people, and I really enjoy the chats. Like oh, the reason we've connected is through social media, Tej. Uh, and so I had to learn how to raise money quickly or add value to people quickly. So that's key. I'll say it again. I had to uh, um, raise money or add value to people to to collaborate, and that's that was my focus. Mm. And you know, raising money until you do it is quite a sort of daunting thing right because oh, everyone gosh, yeah. you know yeah. talks about oh we raise money we raise this but when you're trying to do it you're like what the hell where do we get it from so what are your tips you know practically mechanically and, and also mindset wise for people who haven't raised finance on how they can raise it okay yeah the first one is if you if you uh, think that uh, money has more importance than your time you need to smash that out of the park straight away uh, you almost like erase it uh, you you first off need to work out uh, the value you can give to other people and and value yourself so then uh, and then so when somebody if someone has money they might not have time so then you can offer that as a as a fair exchange uh, and the second thing is then thinking about where can you access money and so i'm going to quickly give an example that's right Tej, just on my first rent to rent as a as a quick so ultimately i had no cash like like i told you i had enough just to kind of cover the bills uh, so my first rent to rent i just basically thought right if i borrow cash over two years interest free on a credit card and it's going to cost me three thousand quid why don't i just make sure that i make enough profit from that first rent to rent deal to then service the debt on that to then give me the, my first refurb i can I, i've got no borrowing costs well apart from like one percent transfer fee it's like the cheapest borrowing ever and then i use that in order to get my first one up and running and then if you can manage if you manage and i'm not advocating by the way people to, to use credit cards in a bad way but if you use it as good debt and you have cash flow and properties that service it then i, I mean i've i, I scaled up uh, quite quickly using that that strategy alone wow so so you're suggesting that people should use you know interest-free credit cards cash transfer credit cards at the start Get a if couple they, if they do it the right way and they right and they have the right financial education. So I mean, a lot of people could easily trip up. And I mean, I, I do see some property education companies that actually encourage people to max out on all their credit cards and then use that thirty k to actually buy their thirty grand course. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not advocating that at all. I'm saying that uh, I'm, I'm making it really clear that if you're calculated and it's a mathematical decision, very 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 uh, risk averse based, and you've got exits or you've got an easy way to pay it back. Then that's definitely that's that's a, it's a definitely a, why wouldn't you use that cash? 
Mm. And then when it came to like actual like people investing in, in you and your rent to rents, what do you think it was about you that they said, yep, here's my money, let's work together? Yeah, good question. I think that um, there's a, f- a number of elements to that. It's credibility. So it's, prov- it's proving that you're doing what you're saying. Uh, so if you if you go on my Facebook or Instagram or YouTube I'm con- I, and you stalk my you stalk my social media, you'll go right back to two and a half years and you'll see you'll consistently see me showing up and putting out. Uh, so that, that means that people are doing their due diligence can go. Yeah, actually, Tom, Tom does what he says. Uh, so, you know, when I mentioned earlier about me buying people's time, it turns out actually they're, they're all smoke and mirrors. Uh, so I just that. So I think that helps with people trusting you because it's no like and trust. If they know you, they like you, they'll trust you more, then they'll invest. And that doesn't happen overnight. So at the very start, my family weren't really that keen to, to lend me some money, but to, you know, now they're, they're more open to it because they can see that, you know, actually, you know, this isn't just a random, random thing. It's, it's a real proven model. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, has social media and if that's the example you used, has it, you know, attracted funds to you? Has it been a oh. source of business? Massively, yeah. I've I've got property deals from social media. I've attracted joint venture partners to social media uh, and raised money through social media. And also, I, you know, we, we do offer a, a property education programs and courses and we do mentorship. And most of that will come through people watching and just know, like, and trusting, knowing that we, what we do is what we say. And so for the power of social media is just absolutely phenomenal. And the, I think the liberating thing, being a teacher, by the way, you, you – you're not allowed to have a life outside of teaching on social media. I don't know if there's any teachers that are listening to this, but ultimately, like, for safeguarded, ultimately, everything shut down. So it was like liberating, flicking the switches and going, everybody, Tom Heaney is a human being and I exist. Uh, and then just showcasing that, like, how we can help people and how we can serve. It's, like just being, it's probably the most rewarding thing out of, the, uh, out of this journey so far. Mm. I think you gave one top tip there, which I'd, I'd title as document not create and Gary Vee always says that it's show your journey show who you are document what you're doing because it's always going to add value to someone who is you know 10 steps behind you or is not doing what you're doing or you know in that particular strategy or niche or whatever it is right so show people what you're doing right it might seem like normal and mundane to you but you got to think look at yourself a year ago you you wouldn't have a clue what you're doing right now but you know, there's always people who are that year, you know, sort of before you. And then what are your tips, you know, to add to that for using social media, using your brand to attract business? First off, I think the the, the ultimate thing you need to first off think about before you start putting out, I reckon, is think about what what is your actual value and what is your message? Because if, because um, and I didn't really know what that was and how to do it. So actually, I I thought I wrote down all things I th- I thought I was passionate about and I really quickly wrote them down and then I asked people on my Facebook and my friends and family I then said to them describe to me what, what how would you describe me in three words and so I then triangulated that, that I was like well I'm transparent honest credible and passionate about what I do and so now now that I'm clear on that all the stuff I put out is I try and make sure that it connects with those values so then people then know like and trust me more because I, I like to think that what you see is what you get. So by being really clear on who you are, and that goes back to, to the psychology again, you then when you're putting information out there and documenting your life, it's it, it you you feel really confident that what who who you are on social media is you, and so do you want to come across as arrogant? Like look at this look at this uh, look at this monastery that's going to t- uh, generate two hundred thousand pounds at least gross rent roll. Well, aren't I cool? 
Or do I say, actually, this is this has been a, a challenge. Here's three things that have been challenging, but this is the these are the three successes. I'm really proud of the team, which I am, and but I'm really excited with the gross rent, the net profits going to take make for us passive income, but it's also going to create amazing spaces for an area that was actually run down, and we've got own oversupply of people want to move in. So which one is a better message? Uh, so for me, the second one comes from the heart. The set, the first one isn't me, but you'll see some people put, posting that kind of content, like whoop de loo look at me. And you do wonder, is that really them? And, and if it is really them, then I think I don't really want to do business with them. Yeah, I think that's a great point because a lot of people say to me, oh, Ted, you know, I want to post stuff and build a brand, but I don't want to come across like a show off. And I always say, then don't. Like yeah. if you, you know, like you said, be authentic. There, yeah, you know, phrase it like you just said there, Tom. Phrase it in that kind of natural, real way, and no one's going to think you're a show off. They're going to think, oh, yeah. cool, I'm learning from this guy or this girl. I'm getting great value from it. Okay, but, then, but, then, but also look for feedback. So I mean, I'm, I don't get everything right, and I'm I'm always listening, watching, evaluating, tweaking, reviewing. It's like any business, and 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 yourself. Yeah, you're, 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 we we never stop learning until we die. And so there's posts I might look back on from two and a half years and go and think, yeah, well, I wouldn't do that right now. There's nothing I've ever embarrassed about, but I just think, you know what? Yeah, I just, I could have said it better. I could have worded it differently. I could have done a better quality video, but it's just like get stuff out there is better than not, nothing at all. Because as long as you're coming from a position of authenticity and giving value, then that's better than nothing. hundred percent, you know, like just get started because you're going to look back at your first video podcast blog oh God, yeah. post and you're going to it's like when you look back at your haircut at high school and you just think what was i doing i look at uh, my hairstyle last week and think <laughs> 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 and you know you, you kind of think what was i doing but actually what you were doing is getting started and you were putting yourself out there and once you do that first step you know and if you put like tom said about feedback and that that's sort of like self-awareness as well right like you have to be aware of yourself, what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're coming across, which is not easy to do or develop. And um, But when you have it, you you increase because you don't have to ask others for feedback. You look at your own content and say, that you know, I can change that. I can do this. J- just like you said, right? So you can tell by the engagement whether people like it or not. That's how I gauge it. If, if, people, are, if people aren't engaging with it, I think, well, I'll not do any more of that then. Yeah, that's true. And I think, you know, it's easy to just post stuff out there and ignore feedback, but you know, you're posting it for an audience. So if they love it, then keep doing that. If they don't, then, you know, do less of it or don't do it at all. Right. Yeah. But then uh, there's a few of our mentees who will say, Tom, right, I, I need to get started. I want to start posting stuff and then they'll start posting things. And, and I think this, it serves no purpose. You're just posting things for posting it, for, for posting its sake. Mm. So my, one of my, uh, th- one of my points would be, before you post anything, what's the point of it all? Are you trying to attract investors? Are you trying to keep a, a document your property journey so then you've got almost like a CV? Are you trying to find find like-minded people and build a community? Uh, so by having the outcome in mind and having and knowing what the point of it is, you'll then put content out there that guides you to that that outcome. It's like you know, where focus goes, energy flows. So if you focus on finding investors online and you're giving content and value that's going to attract investors, that's where your focus and energy starts flowing to and from. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's, that is a very, very good point. And do you have a mentor? I have multiple mentors, yeah, um, paid and non-paid. Uh, so, yeah, and, I, and I, I might have one for even a month uh, I've got uh, so it all, dep- it all depends on what my outcomes are right now. So 
Yeah. So yeah. So you've got a podcast. You might have a podcast mentor just for the first three months, but then once you've grown your wings, you then have outgrown that mentor, and then you move on. And is and is that okay? Yeah. 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 And and you know, for you, Kurt, because again, this is a question that when you're starting out, you know, it's it's always a a topic that comes up. And you know, for you, how important has having a mentor been to get you where you are today? It's, it's, it's powerful, but it's, it, it, you've got to kiss a few frogs sometimes to find the right mentors around you as well. And, and there's still gaps in my business development that I'm actually actively looking for the right mentor. Uh, so, you I mean, one hat doesn't fit all. And so if you expect one mentor to give you all the answers, then I think you're going to always be disappointed. So I use people for specific things and elements, uh, but ultimately it collapses time scales because... Uh, and, and there's a difference also between a paid mentor and a non-paid mentor because a non-paid mentor has no real accountability to you uh, because they, they, you know, there's no benefit to them apart from them making them feel good. And I think that's an important factor. But I think um, if I pay somebody to be my mentor, then ultimately there's an accountability there and a duty of care to me because you know, it's a quality product and service. Uh, and I do have free mentors as well. But ultimately, I expect less of them because I, I'm not giving them as much back. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, got your business partner on the podcast before. Yeah. So on that topic, how, and I guess in general, but also, you know, relating to him as well, how do you sort of know when you could work with someone and be someone's business partner? Uh, now, most people end up rushing into this too quickly, uh, me included. So if you, <laughs> if you watch your video now, I wave my hand. Uh, it's... He, he, no, you, you'll go into business with people and you'll go out of business with people and that's just business. And so don't see that the fact the first person you go into business with will be a business partner for life. Uh, so you might do a flip. So you, as long as you, you just got to work out to the shared, shared similar values and, and can they give you what you need from them and can you offer what you need to them? And uh, as long as there's that synergy and you, you're really clear with what what you're both bringing to the table and it's written down and there's a and there's an exit then you mean it's that's that's how businesses form but you know some of my business partners we haven't done that formulaic approach we've just ended up being in business together because it felt right hmm okay that's very interesting and you know there's a lot of people doing rent to rent a lot of courses saying you know this is the best way to quit your job and and get into full-time property investment which as you've shown it it is a fantastic way you know to do that but do you think there'll be a point, and I know the UK is a huge place, but do you think there'll be a point of saturation where agents are sick of people wanting rent rents and landlords are sick of talking about it and then the market shifts? Or do you think there's so many houses and opportunities that won't necessarily happen? Well, there's no crystal ball, is there? But my mindset is of abundance and opportunity and it will evolve. It will. Everything evolves. However, as more people come into the property market, people also leave. The government always changes the goalpost, like Section 24. Taxation changes. Um, landlords get tired. So imagine yourself, Tej. Let's say, Tej, in, in 20 years' time, what does your world look like? Do you want to be doing what you're doing right now? No. So what do you want to do, Tej? Um, oh, that's a good question. Eat lots of cheese on a beach <laughs> with a mountain behind me and uh, have an Italian restaurant. Sounds like that. Oh, well, you own it. Yeah, absolutely. I love cooking, so I'll probably be in it as well. That's a passion. Uh, yeah. So you're doing that. They're not necessarily for the for the income if, uh, or the job. You're doing that because of the love. Yeah. yeah. So, 
So your your property portfolio will look um, might look different in twenty years time than it does right now because it might serve a different purpose. So the point I'm making is that there's money as much as there's people coming at the market. There's also a lot of landlords shifting and changing their portfolio stock as well, and also downsizing. I even had a call today from a landlady who I had a meeting with a year ago uh, on a rent-to-rent property report. In fact, it might have been a year and a half ago. She sent me an email today just saying, hey, Tom, just following up. I'm really sick of all these properties now. I've got six properties. Uh, we did talk about you taking these on. Let's have another call. So I had a call with her today, and uh, we're going to look to do purchase lease options potentially on the mall if the figures stack. And so there's just an example of one landlord putting back six properties back into the market. She's had enough. And so that my mindset is let's find them. Let's help them. And there's always going to be opportunity. You just need to find it. It's a very good point. I don't, when I asked that question, I never really consider the things going back into the market, which is, which is a great point. And I think because of the mindset that, you know, you and I are in, which is we want more, we're not going to give them up right now. We, we need more. Yeah. We don't think about, oh, in X many years, maybe I'll, not want them or something so that's i see i do see so my oh. my, my see i i always say start with the end of mind so uh, if your end of mind three years time i always think that's quite short-sighted and that's not a criticism that's just a why not think what what does your life look like in 30 years time like what what is it that you really want to be part of and so my my so my property portfolio i have no intention of selling i'll only sell any of it if it just makes sense roi terms uh, but ultimately, mine is just going to be passed as a legacy to my family. So that I, I already know the decisions I'm going to be making. And even in like, will planning, it's already in place. Mm. Okay, that is, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And then, you know, and this is a very broad question now. So answer it, you know, sort of whichever angle you think. But what are some of the kind of uh, common mindset issues or challenges or mistakes that some people make? in property that you see perhaps from your mentees the, the, the number one they do the, the copy people doing what they think they should be doing but not really what is true to themselves so what i mean by that is they get shiny penny syndrome so they're the, 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 the chasing service accommodation because i think that's a get rich quick scheme they then they manage it themselves they realize it's actually another job uh, and so they get they're sick of it and they and they don't make much profit on it so they hand them back and then they go property is not for me i'm sick that's what i've seen people do in the past not my mentees but mentees have come to me with that with with that experience yeah um uh, uh, and they go oh uh, tom i want to do commercial com- com- i want to do commercial conversions i go all right why oh because you can make loads of money i'm like why commercial you can make loads of money from other stuff why not do retail arbitrage why not uh why not do new build schemes and that's because they see it from somebody else and then they get excited by it so uh, and i say to them well do you want to be uh, working with professional teams on 10 million pound projects where you've got huge personal personal guarantees and major liability if it all goes wrong or do you want a nice portfolio that makes you five grand a month uh, that's that single by less than HMOs managed by somebody else and you can go and drink eight cheese and watch a mountain in the sunset <laughs> and then they go gosh yeah I didn't think about that yeah so it goes back to you know, long-term focus so then you're setting the things up now because you know I've got a property management team I've got staff I, I, I've got lives who depend on the income we produce from our property, uh, anyway, and so you know, I, I'm I'm really I'm really conscious of that, and I ultimately want to help and our team to make sure that they grow. And I have a responsibility and duty of care there. And so, if you have a property management company and you want to bring staff on, you've got to think about their lives too. Yeah, no, that's that's that is something important to think about. You know, I think a lot of 
property investors I speak to are sort of solo entrepreneurs or they have a few business partners here and there. And it's it's nice to hear from people who have who are growing and grown companies because yeah, everyone's got a different aim, right? Some people just want to be solo landlords, have a huge portfolio, chill, someone to build a company. So it's good to hear from that kind of perspective. And is there a resource platform or app or bit of technology that you just can't live without? Uh, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, social media for me, I couldn't do what I'm doing now without social media. Uh, it's it's been it's been a game changer. So that's, that social media is an obvious one. Um, apps wise, in terms of property management, we use a, a, an app called Arthur. Uh, without that, our property management system, uh, the core of it wouldn't work. And um, I think those two key things are for me. Uh, it's been pivotal, yeah. And just a, just a crack a deal analyzer. So you can just chuck stuff in it and appraise it and then it spits it back out. So, you know, I've been tweaking a, a deal analyzers over and over and over. It's just, it's such time, con- it's time saving. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, I, oh, and last one, I had a traditional old fashioned desk calculator because <laughs> everything's all about the numbers. I, you know what? I cannot, I used to have a pink Casio calculator. I loved it. Yeah. And I don't know where it's gone. I just use I just use Excel or ask Google or ask Siri or I just I like to be told the numbers instead oh, of typing. And a nice big fat calculator on your desk, you can't beat it because <laughs> you just you can just rattle stuff off there. Classic, mate. I'll just be spelling like hello and other words upside down. Oh yeah, because and boobies and boobies. <laughs> you gotta do it. Yeah. All of those words. So Tom, <laughs> this brings us to the last part of the podcast, which is the quick fire round. So okay. To start us off, what are the biggest three mistakes that you personally have made in property? Number one, didn't get started soon enough. Number two, number two, listening to advice from people who don't have the right knowledge or understanding. So listening to my peers who aren't property investors or successful property investors. So people down the pub, my friends who um, who aren't into cash flow and mindset, etc. That was the second one. The third one is, I'll try and make it properly specific now. The, uh, properly, I, I am doing a joint venture, uh, rushing into a joint venture before I did my due diligence on everybody in the team uh, and really settling down the, the, uh, the, you know, the what ifs, the joint venture contract. For me, I, I, I would, I would, I would, Definitely advocates. So everybody I work with now, I'm saying, if you're going to do a joint venture, make sure you have it in writing with all the what ifs and ultimately who's doing what and accountability. So I would do that completely differently if I do the time again. Awesome. And the next one I'm going to ask, I've changed. I normally say, what are the top three tips for new people? But we've gone through that quite a bit. So I want to ask you, what are your you know top three I don't know, activities or, or things people can do or read or listen to that, you know, maybe have changed your mindset quite strongly and that will help other people with theirs. Yeah, okay. So, the, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, um, I'm quite clear on that. So ultimately, there's different different elements to becoming successful, I think. So the mechanics, you mean, you, if you just followed the systems of rent-to-rent, you could, they're there. You know, how to analyze a buy-to-let, they're there. So that's just mechanical. So the people like so Tony Robbins, 
um, if you if you're not fully sure on who what your purpose is or who you are, and then someone like Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power Within, or he's got a book, Awaken the Giant Within. I read that back when I was 21, and, uh, and that's when I discovered I was dyslexic, and uh, that was just like a point in my life where I suddenly went right. I now know who who Tom is, and now I feel finally comfortable. So that was that, that was a pivotal psychological point in my life for the book. Um, but then if you've got a business and if you've got property, you have a business. Now, if you're looking to work with landlords and you want to close more deals, you've got to learn how to sell and you've got to learn how to negotiate. And so uh, I spend time with Grant Cardone and I invest heavily into spending as much time as in the smallest communities I can with them because he's a, an amazing seller. Uh, so uh, the, the processes that he shows on how to close deals and how to, how to uh, make sure that the, the landlord is in a position to be interested in your services. So uh, something like Sell or Be Sold is a good book. And then a couple more books, if that's all right. Um, so the um, million, two texts, I'm just going to go on Audible. So Audible, by the way, I'm heading more to podcasts. So like, your podcast is great um, because I think it's, because um, it's all about the people just doing it for real rather than like a million steps ahead of you. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the Millionaire Fast Lane was a good one by I've MJ DiMarco. Yeah, brilliant one. And one more I'll give you. Um, Think and Grow Rich. Napoleon Hill? Yeah. Awesome. That is a great selection there. And then lastly, what are your top three goals for the future? These can be personal, career, anything. So my my ultimate mission is to help as many people so our uh, my ultimate goal uh, would be to impact on millions and help them uh, achieve the best possible life that they can so live an extraordinary life i don't know what it looks like yet i just know that i just feel awesome when i'm when i know that i'm in front of a group of people or i get feedback that something i've said or done has changed their lives so i'm on a mission to basically scale and grow that and i've had to start with property because you, you do what you know first yeah but once once I've you know once I've built that up and I and I've and I've played about with it and I'm tweaking and testing it, I'll then diversify into just thinking about each person, business coaching, business mentoring, um, personal development, all that stuff. I just think it's phenomenal. So ultimately, that's my massive goal is to to help change lives uh, on a financial level. I I want to be a, a multi-millionaire cash investor because so, I want to invest in young people, business startups, entrepreneurs, so I can say I believe in you. I can take a risk on them uh, and to help build them into to, so they can live the lives that they want on that as well. But you can't do anything with this without money. So building a building a property portfolio, diverse portfolio, and practicing what I'm preaching is important. So you know, I, I run property education courses. So for me, I've got to be consistently doing lots of different elements of property courses and strategies. So I'm not that guy that runs stuff but doesn't actually do it. Yeah. Awesome. I like that. That's very, that's very personal and it's very noble. You know, I think there are a lot of, as you know, young people out there with great ideas, but no one to fund it or take a risk on them. So it's, it's nice to hear that. Yeah. So if people want to get a hold of you, I'll put your Facebook and your website and everything in the kind of show notes on the podcast okay, that's, player. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, but I mean, I know you have a free course. I think I think I was I was going to come to it, but I was in Italy or somewhere when you yeah, when you messaged me. Yeah. Can you just tell people you know a little bit about that? 
Yeah, sure. So ultimately, I, I want to get to know people and I want people to, co- to come in and get to know us. And the best thing, to do, the best way to do that is face to face. So we now run the Property Wealth and Cashflow course. It's a two day free event. And we have them in Newcastle and London right now, but we might go to other places. And ultimately, in those two days, we cover my psychology, the, the psychology of successful people. Uh, I challenge people to think about where they are and where they want to be. Uh, there's great networking opportunities, but we look at also how to find great deals, single ballots, what HMOs are, uh, what service accommodation is, how to do no money down deals, how to raise your budget finance, and how. You know, and ultimately, when they leave those two days, I want them to really think, you know what, I've got massive value from that, and I've helped reflect on where I am, and I, I now have a next step and where I want to get to, and I've got a few ideas of which property strategies and techniques is going to get me there. Mm, okay awesome and i'll put a link to to sign up for that as well in the show notes so everyone can can click to and go straight to it well look tom thank you so much for coming on the podcast i think you've delivered value in in two aspects you know one the practical actions people can take in in you know acquiring rent to rents but also the mindset and the you know the emotional control and self-awareness that you need to succeed in there so you know all that's left to do is for for me to say thank you it's been an absolute honor and privilege and thanks very much Tej and you do a sterling job if you like this podcast connect with Tej on Facebook LinkedIn and YouTube for more great content